Welcome to episode 27 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm sitting here with my two friends, uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams and Reverend Ross Hodges. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty well, good. How you doing? Good. It is election season. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes uh, we are in the throes of election season. The Iowa caucuses uh, were just uh, last night and all of the various results are out and uh, it's interesting to to see the responses of the various uh, main candidates uh, Trump, <laughs> Cruz, Rubio, uh, Sanders uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton uh, and uh, Lots of Christians, of course, are are involved in this process. The evangelical vote is one that everybody's talking it's about. Still a big deal. Yeah. Still is there. Yeah, who's going to get that evangelical vote is a big question. Well, uh, one thing we want to talk about on this podcast episode is how are Christians uh, to think about and to interact with the political process? Um, the questions we want to to ask and, and perhaps begin to answer are: Are Christians uh, meant to be involved in that political process. Uh, what is the church? What's the yeah. church's role in uh, the political process, if any? Um, is it okay for a, for a committed Christian to run for office uh, in yeah. our day? Right. That's right. Uh, how are we supposed to think about um, this process? And one thing as well, I think, would be helpful for us to to, to talk about is, you know, a lot of Christians they they seem to just get really angry and grumpy about. Uh, about, the, the about the leadership, political process. Yours truly uh, was one of those grumps. <laughs> uh, and we can get cynical. Yeah. And yeah. one of the problems is we can stop, we stop praying That's for true. our government. Amen. And uh, we are commanded in Romans 13 to, uh, to pray for our leaders mm -hmm. and uh, elsewhere in, in First Peter as well. And you know, we need to, to get back on our knees and not complain as much and not be so cynical, but pray more. Uh, but this whole question of how we are to interact with the political process is an important one. Um, Gabe, get us get us started in thinking through this. How, how, how should we act and, and, and live as Christians as this uh, 2016 election cycle is going? Well, the first obvious point is that you should think like a Christian. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes. Well, what All right. Well, that, that's the end of our show. Thank you for Thank joining you us. Thank you for joining us on Between the Time. Our 12 listeners have now got it all sorted out. So what that means is that Christians should not think that politics is just this one part of life that's not governed by Scripture. And so what that means is that the Bible actually gives us a good deal to think about concerning how a Christian ought to think about walking and living in a public life. So one of the more basic things that a Christian should realize first is that although politics is very important, political leaders will establish policies that will have far-reaching implications. They will appoint, in our case, presidents will appoint Supreme Court justices that will serve the future of the actual country. They will enact economic policies that will have far-reaching consequences. Christians should not think that God is not sovereign. They should not come to the table believing that if we get this election wrong, then we're going to see the entire earth cave into itself. Right. The actual goal, and I think one book to read that kind of, uh, kind of brought this to light in my eyes was Daniel where you see a man who was in exile, his entire people was in exile, but mm. Daniel himself is in exile, and 
what is basically said is that even in the great kingdom of Babylon, kings rise and they fall. And more specifically, yes. it is God himself who raises up kings, he brings down kings. He's the one who establishes kings. So even in a situation like this where, in a legitimate sense, there's much to be said about what will be the future policies, realize as a Christian, we do not rest our hope and our future hope upon the political process. That's we huge. hope for good things, but we don't put everything into it. And we live in two kingdoms, don't we? Mm -hmm. uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and we are three of us, American citizens. Yep. So Ross, how are we supposed to think about that dual citizenship as it, as it were? Where do our primary allegiances lie? And how are we to think about this passing evil age? Mm. Yeah, well, that's uh, an easy question to answer in about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, this is a, obviously a big discussion and, and we could talk about it for a long time, but, but it, at, at heart, we need to realize that we do have a foot in two different kingdoms, as you say, now, God owns both of those kingdoms. That's a, that's a big point. And in talking about the doctrine of the two kingdoms, we don't want to say that God is um, ruling one, uh, namely the, the spiritual kingdom or the, the heavenly kingdom, and he's not involved in ruling the other, and so we, you know, we don't think Christianly about it. Um, both kingdoms are God's, but he rules them differently. And there are two different purposes and, and sort of goals in, in one respect that needs to be qualified, but of the two kingdoms. And so um, the... The, we, we don't want to, to overlap those in such a way, as Gabe was saying, as where our hope is centered on this life and this world and therefore the politics and the economies and the healthcare systems of this life and this world. And so we, we think about our ultimate hope always as being grounded in the gospel. And we think about the mission of the church as serving that uh, ultimately as serving that kingdom, the, the kingdom of the gospel, the kingdom of Christ. And uh, now that kingdom exists within the common kingdom this, of this world, but they're not the same thing. And so uh, as we're involved in the American political process, we need to realize that we have brothers and sisters who are involved in the Chinese political process mm -hmm. or the Western Europe political process in one of the countries there. Um, and, and we need to remember that our highest allegiance must be to that heavenly kingdom, that spiritual kingdom, so that whether we are American or Chinese or German or whatever, um, our unity as Christians and our allegiances are, are united in Christ first and foremost, and that everything else is subordinate to that. Yes, and I think a helpful way to uh, make the distinction between the way Christ rules the uh, kingdom of God uh, and the visible kingdom, the church, and the common kingdom or the kingdoms of this world is that in the church he rules through his keys of the kingdom, which is uh, uh, the preaching of the gospel, the sacraments, church discipline. Right. And he rules through his uh, ordained shepherds, his, his leaders. And so that's the way he rules through the ministry of the church in the, in, in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. Now, in the world, he rules through his providence yes. and through the ordaining of leaders. Those leaders are all over the map in terms of their commitment to morality and justice and that kind of thing. But God, we are promised, is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right. So even the worst ruler uh, 
uh, will be used by God's hand in a sinless way to work his, his salvation for his people. Which we see happening in Scripture all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Gabe mentioned Daniel, and you see the things happening there. We, we see Cyrus mentioned by name in the mm -hmm. book of Isaiah. Uh, we see the dec Caesar's decree that brought Mary and Joseph uh, to Bethlehem, yeah. you know, and, and so forth and so on. But and that's the the point that that Paul makes in Romans thirteen is that the ruler is there, instituted by God, whether he's a Christian or not, yes. uh, to ultimately serve God's purposes. But it's it comes through a different yeah. venue than it comes in the church. And who are we to say that because there is an evil president or prime minister or king? that uh, the church is going to be snuffed out. In fact, in history, it's been quite the opposite. It's never been the case, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. have communism in China, and the church has grown by the millions yeah, over the yes. last 50 or 60 years. Yeah. So simply because an evil government is put in place yeah. doesn't mean that it's going to be terrible for the church. Sometimes that's the best thing yeah. that can happen right. for the church. Now, we would never wish for a communistic dictator mm -hmm. or a tyrannical yeah. ruler to take over our country, but like we said before, it's not the end of the world for yeah. us as Christians, or it's not the end of the church if there is an evil person that is placed into, into some office. Another thing that's helpful, I think, is when you think of a, a judge who's a Christian. Mm -hmm. okay? they, are, they are citizens of two kingdoms. They're a judge mm -hmm. and meant to bring justice and to rule right. in justice. They're also a Christian. So what if someone sins against uh, somebody that he knows or knows of a situation, and he's required to forgive this individual, and yet still there must be, say, capital punishment given. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right? So he's playing those two dual yeah, roles right. right in his position right. as a yeah, judge. Right. The same would go for really any civic leader or a police officer who's a yes. Christian. They still have to do their job and carry out justice. At the same time, they may have to forgive someone for punching them in the face while he was arresting them. That's true. Right. Right? right. Um, so it's just an interesting dynamic there, and Christians need to remember that dynamic, that they live in two kingdoms and have responsibilities in both kingdoms. I will also say that it's important to realize, again, thinking through it, is that the state has very different jurisdiction and responsibilities than the church does. Yes. And so what that means is that the things that we command or at least expect the state to do would not necessarily be the same things we expect the church to do. That's one of the basic tenets of what separation of church and state means, not how it's been interpreted today, but what it means is that we do not expect the state's uh, sovereignty to encroach upon the church, nor do we expect the church to encroach upon the state. We've seen in multiple different ways what happens when the church encroaches on the state and you have a state church set up. We've seen that leads actually to the downgrade of the church in many places and it also leads to the abuse of church's power in other places. Hmm. But what we've also seen today, and I think this is what most Christians are concerned about, the state is now encroaching upon things that was traditionally understood to be the sovereign rule of the church. Right. Which basically means the state is now declaring what marriage is, is declaring uh, what is true sexuality and gender. Where life begins. Yeah, where life begins. Right. These are things that are not state matters. And in a sense, they have come upon our turf. They're dictating morality. <laughs> yeah, they're dictating morality here. Right. And so it's expected that the church will, are going to say, we don't expect you to become the church. We expect you to stay in your sphere and to do yes. what you are expected to do. Right. Yeah, that's a helpful way to distinguish that, that sphere. Uh, sphere sovereignty. Sphere sovereignty, yes. Yeah. 
Um, a book that we wanted to recommend to our listeners on this subject is by, by David Van Drunen out at Westminster Seminary, California, uh, one of Ross's uh, professors uh, from seminary, and it's called Living in God's Two Kingdoms, Living in God's Two Kingdoms, uh, published by Crossway, and uh, the subtitle, A Biblical Vision for Christianity and Culture, and it has a very helpful section in here on uh, the approach to politics as a Christian. In it, he says this, quote, In the heat of the political moment, when Christians can get so exercised about the latest news from Washington, or feel so jubilant or discouraged about the latest election results, maintaining a proper perspective on politics is crucial. Christians must strive neither to deny the importance of politics, since it has great bearing on the justice, peace, and prosperity of this world, nor to exalt politics as a means for ushering in the redemptive kingdom of heaven. The two kingdoms doctrine effectively guards against both dangerous extremes. Amen. Yes. Very helpful commentary uh, there, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think something else that having this uh, perspective of the two kingdoms um, helps us understand is the Christian liberty that's involved in politics yes. and the political process. Because you can have people in the same congregation or the, the same denomination of the same faith who have very different perspectives on how things should go in the common kingdom. Mm -hmm. So you can have one Christian who believes uh, X about the way the healthcare system and immigration should work and taxation and those sorts of things. And you can have another Christian who believes the opposite of that. And they can both believe those things and hold those things and yet have Christian unity. But what seems to happen more often than not is Dr. Van Drunen uh, even hints at it in that paragraph is that we get emotionally involved in these things and we think the sky is falling, we think the world is ending if mm -hmm. our candidate or our policies don't get enacted and so we, we, we freak out and, mm -hmm. and and then we get heated discussions with brothers and sisters in Christ and we, we tend to associate our our unity with the political realm instead of in Christ and that's dangerous, mm -hmm. we don't want to do that. That's right and, and I think a lot of these discussions is just a lot of uh, of pride. Yeah, uh, right. People want to be right, and mm -hmm. they dig their heels in. They're not, you know, a lot of the political commentary on the 24-hour news cycle. Mm -hmm. It's just people who are they're beating their drum, mm -hmm. and they're not listening to each other. Yeah. Uh, if if one is honest, you can talk about these issues and see good points on various sides, and even right. admit to that. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, you know. <laughs> Could you imagine that? People admitting that the other person actually has a good point. Uh, we can look at different perspectives on health care, on immigration, on the size of our military, all of these things, and sure. have a good, honest discussion, and then charitably disagree at the end. Yes. Uh, we as Christians don't need to be so exercised and heated uh, in the discussion that we can't uh, have uh, honest discussion, counterpoints, and uh, and still, as you say, be unified with a fellow Christian. You know, a lot of our British evangelical friends have very different views than we do as American oh, yeah. evangelicals. Oh, sure. When I was living over there for a couple of years, I about fell over a couple of times because the <laughs> godliest people that I knew were were just on opposite poles that I was in sure. terms of a lot of different things connected to politics. And what it tells us is that, and we may not like to admit this, but we are very affected by the American political cycle as Christians. We are. And we, our categories of thinking about things are very much, I'm not going to say driven by them, but uh, we, kind of un, we kind of swallow it whole without actually assessing it. And it's, to us, we kind of associate 
liberal conservative with Christian, Christian unchristian, right. which is a very dangerous position to be in. The reality is that we are, a lot of us who probably grew up American have come to adopt viewpoints that are distinctly American. Not necessarily, they're not necessarily Christian or unchristian, but they're distinctly American views. And if we project that upon anyone else, particularly those who are outside of our congregation or country, we are basically having a artificial division among each other within the church. That's right. And uh, Pastor Ross, let me ask you a question. Would it ever be uh, right or appropriate for a church to have, say, a political candidate come to a worship service, have them stand, uh, say, hey, this would be a great person to vote for, or have that political candidate preach in the service? Um, uh, would it, would, and, and, and in addition to that, would it ever be appropriate, say, for me, the, the senior minister, to write a pastoral letter and encourage people to vote in a certain direction? You know, because that happens in a lot of even right. evangelical churches. Right. What would you say to that? Uh, I, I would. <laughs> My question. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That no, that would not be appropriate. Um, Why? Yeah, the, the, and it's it's a it's a uh, an issue that good people can disagree on, um, but. W we see that the, the, the realm of the church is to preach the gospel and mm -hmm. to expound the word of God, um, and not to promote a particular political party for the reasons we've been talking about, is that the, you know, the Bible doesn't say you, you have to vote with this party or that party or have your immigration policies or healthcare policies or anything like that um, be a certain way. There, there's, there's Christian liberty there. Um, and, and so, no, it is very inappropriate to, to, to have the, the church um, as the church and a minister as a representative of Jesus Christ telling people who to vote for. What is appropriate is to expound the word of God and to make application to people's lives with that. And so, yes, there will be things that, that overlap with politics in that category, such as abortion, such as biblical sexuality and marriage. and our job then as pastors is to expound the word and to apply it to people's lives, but, but not crossing that line and saying, therefore, you need to vote for this person. Right. They, they're smart enough to figure that out on their own if they're walking with Christ and Absolutely. applying the truth. Right. right. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and if we are making disciples according to the word, as you say, Ross, people will make those applications to the way that they will vote, the way that they will live mm -hmm. in, in that sphere, in that, 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 that common kingdom, as it were. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, uh, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if that was applied to politics, even yeah. just with the Christians, uh, instead of this kind of fiery rhetoric that gives no credence at all to anybody else's viewpoint but one's own. Um, right. There needs to be a measure of humility, uh, and that, I mean, that is key to unity in the church, is to say that my viewpoint on this particular thing, which is, biblically speaking, a gray area, is not the only viewpoint that needs to be considered here. Yeah, so the gospel is the heralding, the, the joyful proclamation that God sent his son Jesus Christ uh, to die for wretched sinners. Uh, that we, by grace through faith in Him, would have uh, forgiveness, imputed righteousness, and everlasting life. There's no news that's better than that. And there is a kingdom that is coming 
uh, in Christ. And it's in that kingdom that we have our ultimate allegiance. Yes. And, and so the gospel is not this candidate or that candidate getting into office. Mm -hmm. That's never the gospel. And right. it should never be confused as being the gospel for different people that have a passion for various you know, uh, causes, mm -hmm. uh, constituencies that are, are going for this kind of health care or mm -hmm. this kind of immigration reform or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so important that we get this right as we lead up to, it's the February 20th? And just to be clear, we're not saying that Christians can't be passionate about these things and can't be involved and can't give money. No, we're saying absolutely they can do that, but they can't do that in a, in a way that is going to uh, cross these lines that we've been talking about and, and create division and disunity um, in areas that the Bible uh, gives gives a gives us Christian liberty in. In terms of the confession, Christians should not attempt to bind the consciences of yes. other believers yes. based on political issues here. Nor should the Christian believe that the spread of the gospel depends upon your leader being elected. Neither of those who are true. And the I think the better that we understand those two points, the more clear headed we'll be when we actually discuss these. Yes. It also means and this is my personal view, in one sense there is a sense where we always seem to hear about politics but it's very rare we actually just sit calmly and talk about hmm. political issues hmm. and that's because you probably think someone's going to try to bind your conscience and try to guilt trip you into picking a candidate if we can remove that out the way we can actually have much more peaceable and productive conversations about it hmm. and we can disagree and move on and still love each other well, this has been, uh, I think, a helpful discussion on these uh, important matters. And uh, we do hope that you go out and be a good citizen and vote uh, in February here in South Carolina. And, and also uh, when the presidential elections come, be a good citizen and to be a good citizen of both kingdoms. Uh, we'll see you next time on Between the Times. <laughs>